You know, the word in the New Testament that is translated anxious or to be anxious occurs 17 times. And we, it is used basically like we use that word. We talk about being anxious. It's usually a negative thing. It is sometimes a positive thing. We're commanded in the New Testament to be anxious in taking care of our spouses and to anxiously watch out for one another in the body of Christ. So it's not always a bad thing. It basically means to occupy our minds, to have your mind occupied. You guys in the crowd, that means get out of the empty box. Occupy your mind. Most of it's not good, though, is it? Most anxiousness in our lives isn't good. It's something that takes away from us. And it's something that takes away from what we're supposed to do. So there needs to be a way to get around that. This chapter, Matthew chapter 6, please get your Bibles open to there, ends with Jesus saying these words, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Well, it'd be nice, wouldn't it, if Jesus had told us how to do that? He has. He has. I'm glad you asked that. He has three times in the second half of chapter 6, Jesus flat out says to his listeners, therefore, do not be anxious. He asks in the middle, why are you anxious? And he says, what good is being anxious? Here's what we're going to see this morning, that the key to overcoming anxiety is a single focus on the kingdom of God. That means that we're going to have a life that's lived with one priority and a life that is lived for one king. Those are the two things I see in chapter 6 that I want us to get this morning and walk out of here with. By the way, it's Donut Sunday. Woohoo! Let's get back on track. Life lived with one priority. 49% of the countries of the world... 49% allow you to have what's called dual citizenship. That way you can be taxed twice. <laughs> but in the kingdom of heaven, there is no such thing as dual citizenship. The, the kingdom citizen is somebody who lives here as an alien. We've talked about this before. We live here as aliens, and our real citizenship is where? In heaven the kingdom citizen. So it makes sense when Jesus instructs us with what he does in chapter 6, verse 19, where he says, so do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Notice this. Jesus didn't say, now don't lay up any treasures. That's not what he said. Laying up treasures is a good thing. Treasures are a good thing. The very creative God of creation created you and me to be creative individuals. We're supposed to be creative and productive. If your life is focused on your real citizenship, though, it will direct where you invest. 
where you are creative. And when that's heaven, he says, two things are going to happen. It's not going to get lost, and that's where your heart is going to go. Now think about that. Baylor University, it's an institution in Waco, Texas. There is a story out of Baylor history about a Christian man who gave money to help build the campus at Baylor, and later this man who had been wealthy lost all of his property. He, he helped build a major building, and then he lost everything personally. And someone asked him, don't you wish you had that money back so you could put it, uh, or can't you, don't you wish you had that money that you had put into the school? Don't you wish you had it back? He said, no, not at all. It's all that I have saved. If I had kept that money, I would have lost it too. I'm thankful I gave that building when I did. July 4th this week. What is it about veterans that causes them to hold a certain degree of honor for our country's flag? I'll tell you what it is. It's this very same principle. Jesus said it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are two kinds of people in the local church. There are those people who have poured themselves into the vision of the church. Hope lives here. Amen? And there are people who believe in that and who get behind that and they, they talk about that and they put themselves into supporting it. They invite other people along to it. They lay up for themselves treasure in heaven. They give of themselves. They give of their time. They give of their money. They give of their abilities. Let me throw in a quick commercial. We're going to be offering the membership class again this next quarter during Disciple Hour and a few weeks, and I hope that some of you who haven't yet will make that a part of you becoming someone who is engaged like that. Think about that, okay? End of commercial. That's one kind of person in the church, and then there are some other kinds of people too. There are those who just kind of hang around, who just kind of watch what everybody else is doing. So, of those two groups of people in the church, which group is happier when the church takes on a project and it goes well? Who cheers the most when there's a need that gets put forward and it gets met and we go way beyond it? You see, this decision to lay up treasure in heaven is a decision to beat anxiety because of this. Your investment can't go to waste. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? Moth and rust cannot destroy it. He said to invest ourselves in eternal things as a way of making us into people then whose hearts are set on eternity. Look again at the wording. Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the order he talks about here. It's why it matters so much that we invest our lives into things that last. That has a lot to do with where your heart is going to be. If you're having trouble this morning putting your heart into the Lord's work, I want to suggest that you take some inventory and ask yourself, where am I putting my treasure? Where do you put your hours every week? What gets your first thoughts when you wake up? What gets the first part of your paycheck, your last thoughts before you go to sleep? What gets your, your greatest intensity of, of creativity and learning and growth? 
What are you going to be doing on Go Sunday, July the 30th, for instance? Jesus says, where you put your treasure, that's where your heart will be. The next verses there in chapter 6 are another way of saying a similar thing. Don't get lost in them, okay? Jesus says there, starting in verse 22, that the eye is the lamp of the body, so that if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No person can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and cling to the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Without getting lost in all the particulars here, let's just say this. Jesus says about your eye, if it is healthy, if it is literally single, if it's not wandering around, but if your eye is focused, if what you are taking in is focused and singular, then it helps your whole body. We need that kind of singleness in our view of life. Here back in the 1600s, John Bunyan in prison wrote a book many of you have read called Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress, it's one of the old, old classic books. And it's a, an extended allegory telling the story about a man. He's a figurative man who represents mankind. And he is making his journey as a pilgrim toward heaven. And along the way, pilgrim has to be careful of the places that will tempt him to get him off track in his journey. Places like a hill called Error, the Doubting Castle, Vanity Fair, the Plain of Ease, the Enchanted Ground. You see, to reach heaven, Pilgrim has got to avoid being sidetracked by all these things that would take him away. He has to keep, here it is, a single eye, a healthy eye. That has been your story and my story. That has been mankind's story from the beginning. Satan tempts us with distraction. So that the singleness of our eye gets thrown off. Think about this. Eve, forget about all the other trees in the garden. What about this tree? Look at this one. What about what looks good? What about what you want? What about you and your desires? Think about that, Eve. You give this some thought. Every medium around us, hear this, every medium around us that isn't trying to focus our eyes on the kingdom of God potentially is trying to point our sights somewhere else. Isn't that true? Take Jesus' words here, apply them to every social media platform for a second. <laughs> Have you ever gotten on to Google or some other search engine on the internet because you needed to find something, you needed to look something up, and you lose your singleness of purpose as you do that? Surely not, right? And Fifteen minutes later, after looking into a couple of headlines, checking the weather, buying something that you didn't know that you need, 
you realize all of a sudden that you don't even remember why you got on in the first place. Has that ever happened to you, hypothetically? Like Dorothy on the way to the Wizard of Oz, there is always this danger that we're going to wander off from the yellow brick road and we're going to be tempted to go wandering into the forest or into the field full of poppies and forget that the point of our journey in the first place was to get home. No one can serve two masters. Having a singleness of devotion in our lives is going to impact you for good. Just like having that singleness split up is going to cause you pain. Remember, we're talking about how to avoid anxiety here. So take some honest self-inventory this morning. Take a careful look at your life portfolio. Ask yourself, am I investing my life into this good priority, this main priority of life, the kingdom? Or am I trying to pour myself into two? Life lived for one priority. Here's a second kind of life that we've got to be living, and that is a life lived for one king. One king. Same is true for a servant trying to serve his master. You can't take orders, Jesus says, from two masters. Besides that, God isn't interested in sharing his lordship with anybody else in your life. You can't serve two masters. That's why the cure for anxiety also means what Jesus goes on to say there in verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, do not be anxious. It literally should be read, stop letting your mind be occupied. Do not be anxious saying or about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Answer, yes. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Answer, yes. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field that today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? These things in the world, Jesus points to, these things that go on all of the time that we don't even think about often, who takes care of them 24-7, billions upon billions upon billions of times every day? Who does that? Who upholds all things by the word of his power? Who controls the universe and keeps it going? That would be God. And in God's eyes, Jesus says, you are of much greater importance than birds, than wildflowers. Therefore, Jesus says, don't let your mind become occupied. Don't become anxious. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first what? 
his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So here's what Jesus says there. If God is able to take care of the simplest of creatures, the simplest of things, and he does, and if God is able to maintain the ecosystem of the universe, and he does, and if God values you more than these things, and he does, and if he knows what your needs are, and he does, and if he promises to supply for you whatever it is you need, if you will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, will he take care of you? Anxious? Jesus just explained the reason that he can command you and me not to be anxious. I've mentioned this before. I think it's an easy way to remember it. As you go through chapter 6, there's four ways that Jesus explains he has the right to command this to us. That being anxious, number one, is irrational. Look at verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Answer, yes. Unless you're a teenager. Yes. Anxiousness, on the other hand, anxiousness puts an emphasis on irrational things. Oh, darling, I've just been invited to visit the King of England. Oh, what kind of socks are you going to wear? Irrational. Irrational. It's also irrelevant. Verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I, it's irreverent. It's the word I meant to say. It's irreverent. It's saying about God that he has got it wrong. Are you not of more value than they? Yes, unless you would like to accuse God of having skewed priorities in life. I'm not going to jump in line for that one. I don't want to be irreverent, do you? Here's the third reason. It's irrelevant. Verse 27, Jesus asks a question. Which one of you, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Answer, none. Are you really anxious about how long you're going to live? Come on, let's occupy our minds with that for a moment. Let's try that, all right? Everyone occupy your mind with how long you're going to live. Did it work? Not sure that helped. Doesn't change anything. In fact, worrying about life tends to shorten it, doesn't it? Worry is the interest we pay on tomorrow's troubles, says E. Stanley Jones. It is irrelevant doesn't change a thing. Here's one last thing that it is. It is irrespective. Uh, one way to define that word is to say it's without regard for drawbacks that it causes. It doesn't respect the outcome. Jesus says in verse 32, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Who made you in such a way that you in your life require food and clothing? Who made you that way? Are you sure you want to act like God doesn't understand that about you? 
Another way to say it is this. God has everything under control. God will take care of your worrying for you. Why repeat God's work? You want to fix the colors on the rainbow? You want to make babies cuter? You want to oversee the birth process of kangaroos? Would you like to adjust the speed of the Earth's rotation or the angle it has with the sun, the distance that it has from all the other planets, the power of gravity? Jesus says in chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 30, the very hairs of your head are numbered. I bet you couldn't do that. Well, most of you. Aren't you just the least bit concerned that your anxiousness might be an insult to the one who knows you better than you know yourself. It's irrespective. Maybe that's what Peter meant when he said in 1 Peter 5, 7 that we are to be casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. So does today have enough trouble of its own? Sure it does. Sufficient for the day is its trouble. There's already enough here. There's no need to fill your mind with worries over the future that you can't control. But if you'd like to be free from anxiousness, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Make him your first love. Make his kingdom your first priority. Get that singleness of vision in your life. When you're dead and gone from this world, not if, but when, what will you have left behind that will last? What will you have sent ahead that will last? Tell you what, I want to leave something behind more significant than a headstone, more significant than an insurance policy. I want there to be some evidence when Sherm Nichols has gone from this world that I was a kingdom citizen and that my highest priority in life was the Lord and I was seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and I was laying up treasure in his heaven. Life is often a choice, not just between good and bad things. Life is often a choice between good and better things. Think about that. It's kind of like a buffet line, unless it's got beets, but a buffet line. And there's a whole array of good things to choose from, but you got one plate. And you only can fill that plate one time because it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. And some waiter's going to come up and say, hey, that's all you can eat. So you get to go through it one time. And all the choices are good choices, but there's only room for so much. So what do you want to do? You want to make the best choices, right? Take that list of questions in life, the things that we often get anxious about. Whom should I marry? What should my vocation be? Where should I go to school? How should I invest who should be my best friends? How do I set up my schedule for this next week, for the summer, for this fall? How should I use the internet? Where should I volunteer my time? Make that list. Make the list. And then seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Let me encourage you this morning also to add one more thing to that list. Where am I going to be spending forever? Because God knows that that's the greatest need in your life. And you need to know that this morning. You need to know that being a kingdom citizen now is also about being a citizen in heaven forever. And the reason we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness now is because we have the promise of life in the future. You can add that to your list of choices this morning because you get to make a choice. If you haven't ever made the choice to make Jesus Christ first in your life, we want to encourage you to do that today. We're not ashamed to tell you that that's important and that's what you need to do. We want to invite you on behalf of Jesus Christ to receive the free gift that he has paid for for your sake so that you can be a citizen of his kingdom. Would you do that? You think about that this morning. This is a time when we are going to stand up together. Would you do that? It's physically you get to do something. Let's stand up. And then mentally you get to do something. Because right now I want to ask you to reflect on the words of Jesus that we have just looked at in the Scripture and ask yourself, what am I going to do with these things? Where in my life do I need to make some adjustments? Are they major adjustments, minor adjustments? When am I going to do those things? Maybe this morning you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're thinking, I'd like to make that, that move from where I'm at to being a, a citizen of heaven. That'd be great, wouldn't it? That'd be great. And so, can you do that today? You sure can. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you're ready to let him be Lord in your life like he deserves to be, if you understand that you need him for something that you can't possibly do on your own, that is to be in right standing with God the Father, to stand clean before him. If you understand that, and you're ready and willing, you could choose Jesus Christ today. It means right now we've got a way of doing it. Sure, step forward here, stand in front of people and say, yep, I believe these things about Jesus. And I want to be his follower. And then be baptized into him, calling on his name. Start a new life today. You've got a chance to do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this reassurance from Jesus. It challenges us because we confess about ourselves. We let things get to us. We let stuff that is so temporary and really so small sometimes occupy our minds when you have given us greater things to think on. Please help us, Father, in our tendency to get our focus, our eyes off of the journey that you've called us to take. Help us once again to renew this conviction that you should be first in all of our thinking, that your kingdom must be foremost in our citizenship and in our living day to day. We trust you, Father, to fulfill your promises. You are holy and good. You are unchanging. You take care of so many little things. 
We trust you today to take care of this big need in our lives. Father, thank you for the opportunity, the, the chance to respond and to receive that gift of life that you promise us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.